Well, hi, welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. And I'm Dan, coming to you with a solo episode. And uh, this is actually, that this was originally just gonna be a one-off follow-up, but this is actually gonna be the first of two follow-ups um, to a sermon that I gave. As I'm recording it, it was just this past Sunday um, on January 8th. And so actually, I encourage you, it's, it's a sermon about husbands and wives going through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. I encourage you to watch that or listen to it if you haven't already, Um, not just because it's going to tie into what I'm going to talk about here, but because it's a big picture sermon about the purpose for marriage. And one of the things that happened as I was preparing for it and even a little bit in the aftermath is there was a lot that I felt like I had to sort of leave on the cutting room floor. There's so much when you're talking about the biblical view of marriage and then practical questions, there's so much to talk about. And so there were several things that I sort of still had and then questions that had come up that I didn't get to address in the sermon because you always have a limited amount of time. And I thought, all right, I'll I'll do a follow-up podcast episode addressing some of those things. And then as I talked to more people and even put it out for more questions, a bunch more questions came in. So this episode is going to be just me talking about some of the questions. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to have another episode where I'm going to have a couple of friends in here with me, and we're going to talk together about more questions that came in surrounding marriage and how we live out a biblical uh, framework for marriage. So I, I'm just going to address as, as many of the questions as I can. I'm, I'm not going to say a number because I think I'm, I'm going to get through them all. Um, but, but the first thing that I want to do that, that uh, is something that I addressed in the sermon, but that I'll do now and take a little bit of time on, is just talk about some great resources about marriage. Um, and these are great if you're married and your marriage is going well, but you just want to dig in deeper. These are great resources if you're married and it's not going so well and you feel like you're missing each other. And this is great if you're single and you hope to one day be married and you just want to get a get some preparation for marriage. Um, so the first one I'll talk about um, is Tim and Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. And this is a great, I, I talked on Sunday about the idea that um, the sermon was more about framework than about tools. It was less about, here's some practical um, tricks that you can do that help you communicate better and more about the overall framework for marriage. And in Tim and Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, it really is big picture. There's practical stuff in there that's really helpful, but it really is getting big picture about how are we approaching marriage? Where is God involved in this? How are we showing off Christ in the church? How is God shaping our character through marriage? All those sorts of things. Great, great book. Um, The other two are ones that I mentioned on Sunday, um, Love and Respect, which is a wonderful book by Emerson uh, Egerich, um, and uh, talks about uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, there's a statement at the end that talks about uh, husbands loving their wives and wives respecting their husbands. I talked on Sunday about respect sort of being the posture behind submission, which is what Paul talks about throughout that passage. Um, Love and respect is, is big picture, but is also just very practical. And one of the things that he talks about just as a tidbit is he talks about um, men craving respect and women craving love. Um, And he talks about how we get into this sort of negative cycle often where a man isn't rightly loving his wife, and so the wife doesn't rightly give respect to her husband, and that makes the husband not want to give love to his wife, and that makes the wife not want to give uh, respect to her husband, and you just get into, you know, he talks about just these cycles that you get into. And one of the beautiful things that he talks about is it's sort of, it takes two to, to get into this cycle. It only really takes one to break the cycle. 
And if a wife suddenly decides, all right, I am just going to give respect to my husband, or the husband decides, I'm just going to give love to my wife, um, that's not a guarantee that your spouse is going to respond, but it's a great way to handle it before God to say, I'm, I'm going to give what God has called me to give. And also, it frequently does get you on a new and different cycle. Um, and then the third resource that I want to talk about, um, I, I just have the for men only part, but there's a, an accompany book that's for women only. Um, and, and the subtitle for this one is A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women. And of course, the other one is A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Men. Um, and it's by Shanti and Jeff Feldham. And these are great books. They're actually data-based where they've done all kinds of studies and statistics. Um, and it also is biblically based. It's very practical. It's helpful for not only sort of giving you the tricks like do this, but helping you just understand the inner realities. For men, this is an incredibly helpful book um, to, to read and, and to get a sense of um, every woman is different, but there are some things that are just generally true of how God has created women. And the same was with men. Every man is different, but there's some just general truths about how this is the internal way that men function. So really helpful books to read on your own, read with your, your husband or with your wife. Great books, great resources. I wanted to recommend those. Um, now I'm going to go through some questions where we'll get into a little bit of practical and a little bit of biblical um, that are follow-ups. And the first one is something that originally I had as part of my sermon, but just time-wise, I, I had to decide that I'll, I'll live to fight another day and, and to not talk as much about it. But that's that the commands in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, about wives submitting to their husbands, some people will ask, well, well, how does this tie into what comes before? Um, because I'll read for you right before verse 22, where it starts by saying, wives, submit to your own husbands. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so people will ask, well, how does that tie in? How does the idea that he says, submit to one another, impact or inform what he means when he says wives are to submit to their husbands. And some will even go as far as to say, doesn't this just sort of show that we're all supposed, like wives should submit to husbands and husbands should submit to wives. That, that it's that we're submitting to each other and there's not any special sort of authority difference between husbands and wives or, or unique way in that, in which wives are looking to submit to their husbands. Um, so first of all, I'll make a, a biblical point on this. Because some will say, well, verse 21 really should be included in any sermon on this. Uh, and to some degree, it's a fair point, but it's a mistake to think that verse 21 is really the beginning of this flow of thought. Because if you go back to the Greek, and I apologize if this is feeling a little bit too technical, um, but you would have to go back to verse 18 of Ephesians 5, the last time there is a command. The last time there is a command in the Greek is in uh, chapter 5, verse 18, when it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So you got two commands. Don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. A lot more that could be said about that at other times. And from there, the next several verses flow with what are in the Greek participles. That They're basically modifiers. They're saying, you walk by the Spirit by doing these different things. So he talks about speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, um, singing and making music from your heart, always giving thanks. So, so all of these things are saying, all right, singing, praising, giving thanks, that's how you walk by the Spirit. And really, if we were reading it in a more literal way, verse 21 would say, submitting to one another. 
And so the idea is that that actually flows out of a previous thought. So there's this big kind of long-term thought, hey, this is how we walk by the Spirit. We're singing, we're praising, we're speaking to one another, we're giving thanks to God, and we're submitting to one another. And then what he leads into is not just verses 22 through 33 about husbands and wives. He leads into chapter 5, verse 22, until chapter 6, verse 9, where he talks about what many will call household codes speaks to husbands and wives about how they relate to each other, speaks to children and parents about how they relate to each other, and then speaks to slaves and masters about how they relate to each other. So if you were to say, well, well the whole submit to one another, that, that's actually supposed to be husbands and wives. You would also have to say, that's also supposed to be children and parents, and that's also supposed to be slaves and masters. So, so with all that said, I'm going to say two ways to understand what Paul means when he says submitting to one another. Um, and, and I say, too, because I think both of them are, are very reasonable possibilities. Um, the, the first possibility is that what Paul is saying is he is saying, in situations where submission is called for, you submit to the person that you're called to submit to. Um, and so in that case, he would say, wives submit to husbands, children submit to parents, slaves submit to masters, um, which, which I, I'd say of the two I'm going to say, I think that's probably the right one. And partly because Peter does something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he talks about, you know, submit to the appropriate person as citizens, submit to the governing authorities as servants, submit to masters as wives, submit to husbands. So, so he paints different scenarios where this is going to happen. And I think probably the most likely thing is that Paul is talking about how do we walk by the Spirit? And he's saying part of how we walk by the Spirit is we submit to the people that we're supposed to submit to. I'll give you three examples. Wives are supposed to submit to husbands. Slaves are supposed to submit to masters. Children are supposed to submit to parents. Um, so, so that's possibility number one, is he's saying where it's appropriate to submit, you submit to the person in authority. Possibility number two is that Paul is framing the entire discussion um, of not just husbands and wives, but children and parents and also slaves and masters. And what he's saying is there's an overall mutual submission going on, where in a broader sense, you're all submitting to each other. Now, that is possible that that's what Paul's saying. If he is saying it, though, what is not possible is that Paul is saying that the submission is exactly the same between the two parties. Um, because even if you were to try to make the claim as, as husbands and wives, you're supposed to say, no, you submit to each other in exactly the same way, which is not what he says in the passage, and I'll get to that. Um, I, I think it would be rare for anybody to say that's the way it's supposed to be with children and parents. Children and parents are each supposed to submit to each other in precisely the same way. That, that's not something that we would come up with, and that's not at all in line with the instructions he gives to children and parents when he tells children to obey their parents and parents to bring their children up. There clearly is an authority difference. And not only does Paul lead into this, not only does Paul not at any point with the husband say, husband, submit to your wife, but he says to the wife, the husband is the head of the wife, that there's in the, the short section to wives clearly indications that what he's talking about here is an authority difference between the husband and wife, just as there's an authority difference between the children and the parents and between the slaves and the masters. Um, so, so I think for, for people that sometimes people will try to make this prove too much, and, and even if your conclusion is that this means mutual submission, I think the only way you could come up with that is, is if you're saying the mutual submission is just a very broad idea that as husbands and wives, we each are sort of putting the other person's interests above our own. I could say, yeah, that, that, that works 
in a general sense in which you can say wives do that by submitting to and respecting their husbands and husbands do that by loving and sacrificing for their wives. But what you can't say from this lead into verse, from verse 21 is that what it's saying is that there's no real authority difference between husbands and wives, and there's no sense in which a wife submits to her husband that the husband doesn't also submit to his wife. That, that just doesn't work. Um, on top of this, we've got the consistent teaching of the rest of the Bible on this. You have Colossians and you have 1 Peter, uh, chapter 3 in both cases, which talk about this and don't at all talk about it in terms of the, that there's some sort of mutual submission. Put on top of that, that really, that this has not been even a controversial thing within the church until like 50 years ago. There, there is basically universal agreement. This is what the Bible is teaching. It's only real recently that there's even been disagreement among Christians on that. So I'd say that just to say, if you have that question lingering, if you're like, well, well wait a second, maybe this isn't what the Bible is teaching because of verse 21, I would say, I don't think verse 21 helps you. Um, if you're looking to make a change in that. And the only reason why I felt comfortable leaving it on the cutting room floor is that I said, literally, if I include this in the sermon, I won't be saying anything differently than I'm going to say anyway. So anyway, that, that's sort of a, a frequently asked question, a question that comes up with that. Um, here, here's another question that I want to go over that, that I thought um, it, it came up in a, in a question that somebody asked leading into the sermon. And it was, what should the wife do if the wife is called to respect her husband um, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, um, what is the wife to do if the husband is not respectable? And it's a fair question, but but I want to frame the question in this sense. I, I had um, just a brief interaction with um, with a couple after the service, and, and the wife said something. She, she just gave a very simple insight that I thought was a neat insight. Because um, she was talking about uh, the call to love and the call to submit in the passage. And she said, I think one of the problems is that we frequently see the call for wives to submit as a command and the call for men to love as a feeling. And she was saying, I think that might be why sometimes there, there are wives that feel like it's, it's not quite fair. We're, we're sort of commanded to do something and husbands are commanded to feel something. And she was just saying it's helpful to remember that the call for husbands to love is a call to do something. And I thought that was a neat insight. And I think in a similar way, when we think of the call for love and respect, we need to see that similarly. Um, I, I've never met anybody that objects to the call for husbands to love their wives. But when we talk about respect, there can be this sense in which we say, I can't just choose. Like, you can choose to love someone, but you can't just choose to respect them if they're not respectable. That's actually not true. A husband can choose to love his wife, even if she's not being very lovable. And a wife can choose to respect, to give respect to her husband, even if he's not acting very respectable. Now, for any guys listening, let me just say this. Let's try not to put our wives in this position where it's hard for them to find ways to respect us. Let's make it easy. Let's give them lots of material so that they're not drawing blanks of how will I express uh, respect to my husband. But this is a command, you know, and this is one of the things in um, Emerson Egerich's book, uh, Love and Respect, that he talks about the love is an unconditional love. The respect is also an unconditional respect. You, you are meant to give respect even if your husband isn't acting in a way that you feel like is respectable all the time. Certainly, he's not going to be doing it all the time. Maybe you're even drawing blanks. You're like, I, I don't feel like there's a lot to respect in him. So a couple things. And, and first of all, you can treat somebody with respect because of the position that they're in, even if you don't have tons of natural admiration for their character. 
Um, we, we do this. We don't do this as much anymore in the United States, but, but you can do this with politicians. Um, I, I try to practice this when I talk about politicians, is that instead of sort of giving honorifics to those I like and not to those that I don't like, I, I give the same honorific to all of them. If I'm talking about, um, you know, back in the day, President Bush or President Obama or President Trump or President Biden, I always try to put the president before that, the president. I I don't have to admire these men in a in a deep way of admiring their character. It's been a long time since I've felt deep admiration for many politicians, but I can give a sense of respect to them because of the position that they're in. So I think that that's a little bit of a starting point with this. We, we sort of act like in the United States, this is a very weird thing. We're the weird ones culture-wide, that this is much more understandable culturally that we would do something like this. Um, in fact, one of that, I, I didn't watch any of the episodes of this, but I saw this short clip from um, the, the documentary that came out about um, Harry and Meghan and that the, the whole royal family thing. And just the short clip that I was seeing um, was a, of Meghan Markle, and she was talking about sort of talking about how ridiculous it was when she first met the queen that she did this elaborate curtsy and sort of bow for her. And when I watched it, I just thought that this is so incredibly 21st century American that you would have that kind of attitude that you're like, I'm literally going before the queen, but I think it's ridiculous that I need to do this show of respect. It's not ridiculous. I, I don't know. I have no special insight into all the royal family thing. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying it's not weird that you would give respect to somebody in a position. And that's something we can, that we can start with to say, all right, that there's a sense of giving respect because he is your husband. He is in that position. Um, uh, apart from that, what I would just say is um, look for ways. There, there, probably, there might be some problems in your marriage and there might be some things that right now, sort of what's right before your eyes, you're having trouble finding things that are respectable. But if this is a man who is working hard at his job in order to help provide for your family, that's something that you can express respect for. Um, if he's somebody that you know would would put your protection above his own, if there was some some kind of danger to the family or some kind of physical danger, that's something that you can express respect for. Um, you you can express if there's something if if he's um careful about his health or if he's careful about exercise. Look for things and say, all right, no, no, there are things that I can express respect for, even if there are these other things that feel more important that I don't feel like he's very respectable in. That doesn't mean you don't need to have important conversations about those problems. It just means you can still find things to um to reflect respect to him in. And what I'd also say is the way that you talk to others about him is a big way. Um, that, that you can express respect to your husband. Um, and this is just in general now, to, just to say for, from the guy's perspective, um, not only are words of respect directly to your husband really valuable and life-giving, but words of respect about him to other people are incredibly life-giving. So if you're with a group of friends and you have the opportunity as you're with the group of friends just to say, hey, I, I so appreciate this about him. Here's what he did for us this week, and I was so glad, or he worked so hard at his job. Things like that would go far. And even if you do that, say, say you're getting together with a girlfriend and your husband's not there, um, but but you talk that way to your girlfriend about that, and then you come back and say, yeah, I was with, you know, I was with Jessica, and I was just telling her how much I respect you, that you work hard at this. Um, I, I just want to say again, you probably underestimate how far those words go and how meaningful that respect is to your husband. 
Um, here's another question. This goes along with this a little bit. Um, and it's about the whole idea of submission, which, which again, I'd encourage you, if you weren't there for the sermon, to, to watch the sermon because it'll give a, a broader context for all of this. But the question is, all right, if a wife is supposed to submit to her husband, if you're going to accept that idea, um, are there limits to that? Uh, are, are there limits to the submission that she owes to her husband? Um, and, the, and the answer, of course, is yes. Um, the answer is yes to any situation where anybody is called to submit to anybody other than God, there's limits to the submission. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we know this with governing authorities because we see the apostles refusing to stop preaching about Jesus, even though they've been told by the authorities to do so. Um, we, we see this, um, if you were to go all the way back in um, Exodus and read about the midwives who refused Pharaoh's command to put to death the, the um, Israelite sons who were being born, but instead allowed them to be born and then even deceived Pharaoh about it later, we, we see them disobeying, not submitting to an evil thing. So, so we could say, all right, for anybody, whether it's a child to their parents, whether it's a wife to her husband, whether it's a, you know an employee to employers, student to teacher, citizen to government, all, all of that stuff. We'd say, all right, if anybody is calling you to do something that is sinful and wrong, you don't submit to them, you submit to God instead of that. So, so that's the broad thing. And, and a warning before I give some examples on this, we need to always be careful because as Americans, we always are looking for the exception. Paul says, wives submit to your husbands without clarifying exceptions, because his assumption, I, I believe that this is true, his assumption is that the exceptions are so rare that don't get focused on them. In the same way that in Romans 13, he says that we're su to submit to the governing authorities, and he doesn't clarify the exceptions, even though he clearly believes that there are exceptions. So in the United States, we all think we're special. We all think we're the exception. You're probably not the exception. That said, let's talk about it because there are exceptions. And so let, let me give a couple practical examples. And these are, well, well, these are real life in the sense that I've come across these. I, I've had people talk about these. Um, so, so let's say, um, and this would be especially true if, uh, if you're a Christian wife married to a non-Christian husband. So let's say you're in a situation where your husband says, I don't want us giving financially to the church. And you're looking at it and you're saying, this is this is a matter of obedience that that I should be giving financially to the church, but but you're you're suddenly in a problem. And you're like, well, well, do I submit to my husband who says, don't give to the church, or do I obey God who says give to his work and be generous? Um, and frankly, in some ways with this, because of the way that our culture is right now, there could be a Christian husband who's married to a non-Christian wife who, who could end up in a very similar situation um, like this because the way that our culture functions is not set up in a way that sort of gives all the power of financial decisions to husbands and none to wives. So, so you could end up in the flip side with this. But, but let's just say, let's say you're a wife and you're like, hey, I, I, I believe that the Bible calls me to submit to my husband, even though he's, he's not a believer, but he's saying not to give to the church and I'm saying that we should. Um, how do you resolve this? And the first thing that I would say is, um, try to look for solutions before just determining you need to obey either God or him in this situation. So, so I'd say, all right, look for solutions and look to show respect within the solutions to be able to express, hey, um, I, I understand where you're coming from. I hope you can understand where I'm coming from, that this is very important to me. And to me, it's honestly, it's, it, it's a matter of obedience to God. So can, can we find a way? Um, and, and be willing within that to sort of accept a less than ideal situation 
within all this because you're in a less than ideal situation as a believer married to an unbeliever. And so, so maybe you come up with a solution where you're giving less than you would want to give, but still something that, that he'll say, okay, I'm, I'm all right with that. Um, maybe it'll end up in a situation, maybe you have a job, may, maybe you both have jobs. And I, I say this carefully because I think it's very, um, it's not good if husbands and wives keep their money separately. I, I believe it should go into the, the same pool. But maybe within your um, budget, you have something that's sort of like his spending money and her spending money or something like that. And maybe you could say, hey, could could we set aside just a certain amount? Or, or maybe I even want to use sort of some of my spending money on this, and and then I'm going to go ahead and give it to the church. Or maybe you, uh, maybe your husband is working full-time and you're working part-time, and you say, hey, if it, how would you feel if I you know, picked up sort of like one extra shift a week and that money just went to this? So, so I'd say, look for solutions before assuming, hey, it's I, I just got to obey God and not him. And, and then you're getting sort of, are you going behind his back? Or, you, you know, it, it's a tough situation. So, so I'd say, all right, look for solutions. There probably is a solution that he would end up agreeing to in, in most cases um, with that. So don't just rush to the idea of we've got to, we've, I've, I've got to obey God and not my husband. Um, but really within this, um, look to show respect, look to under, look to express that you understand where he's coming from and that you want to respectfully come up with a solution that values where he's coming from. That's a great way to handle this. Um, let me bring up another scenario. Let me bring up a scenario where um, may, maybe you, um, and let me look at this for a second because I've got two and I'm trying to decide which order um, I want to go in with this. Uh, I'll go with this one first. Um, let's say um, you, you and your husband both work um, at different places and you are offered a promotion at your job and your husband is saying, no, I don't think you should take this promotion. Now, I understand even bringing this up, some of you are like, all kinds of alarm bells are going off and you're like, what in the world? How could he say something like that? Um, it, in a situation like that, it could be that he's a very controlling man, but maybe not. Um, it, it could be for a variety of different situations. It could be that as the husband is looking at it and as you're talking about it, it's like, hey, our kids really need you at home more. And so this is going to require a lot more of you. And maybe it's even going to call for some travel. I just, I don't think that we should, I, I think the kids need you home more than you are right now. And so it, even within a Christian home, you, you could have a husband saying like, I, I really think you, you'd want to, and by the way, if you're a, a Christian husband in this situation, you would want to have a lot of conversations and a lot of listening before you would sort of just make an executive decision on something like this. You would want to come to a point where you're, you've agreed together. And most times you can come to that point. Uh, but, but let's say you can, the husband just pulls rank and says, no, you need to say no to this promotion. Um, again, you could look at that and you could say, it, it's maybe he's right, maybe he's not right. What I say is, first of all, you could look at it, really listen to his reasoning, um, and then recognize within this, even if you disagree, e even if you think that this was the wrong choice for him to make, um, it's not something sinful that he's calling you to do. It's not something where he's saying, I need you to disobey God over here and do this. And then also to say, it's possible he's right. It's possible you don't see it his way, but it's possible that he's seen something that you don't see. And that in time, you would end up saying like, that was actually the right call. And I'm, I'm glad I deferred to him on that. I'm glad I chose to, to follow his lead on that. So I'd say, it's all right. I, I bring this up just to say, sometimes there's situations where you might think it's the wrong decision. You, you might think that it's it, it's sort of a, a not very well thought through decision, but it's not a decision where you're called to sin. And, and so that, that doesn't go outside of the limits of submission. Um, the third scenario that I'll just bring up quickly is if your husband is sort of giving you directions that are incredibly detailed about minutia 
if it's like, don't use that cleaner, use this cleaner, or don't clean, you know, don't, don't vacuum that on Mondays, vacuum that on Wednesdays. Um, again, I think this is much more rare, but what I just say is if, if things like that are happening, it's worth talking to somebody about it. Be, because that typically is a sign of somebody that's much more controlling and potentially is heading towards abuse. And so I'm not saying 100% that's the case. Maybe your husband is just like really fastidious. Um, but if that's going on, that's not normal. And that's not a healthy way that, that the husband is getting into the minutia. No, don't do it that way. Do it precisely this way. Um, it's a sign that probably there's something more... Um, more harmful potentially going on. And it's worth talking to somebody. It's worth normalizing. It's worth talking to somebody together if he's willing to, to say, hey, let, let's sit down with our life group leaders. Let's sit down with a pastor. Let's sit down with a counselor and just talk about this because I don't think that this is a good way that things are going in our marriage. And hopefully he would be willing to do that and you guys could figure out a good solution to that. Um, so yeah, there are limits on submission. The limits of submission are not, I submit to him unless I disagree with him. That would totally undercut the whole spirit behind submission. It is if there's something that he's calling me to do and it would require disobedience to God. But again, even within that, look for solutions. Um, and, and before moving on to the last question, I'll just say, when we're talking about submission, most of the time, the vast, vast, vast majority of, a, of the time in a married couple that do believe in submission and headship with, within marriage, the dynamic is not that the husband is constantly sort of like putting his foot down and nope, we're going to do this. And nope, we're not going to Burger King. We're going to In-N-Out. Or that, That's not the dynamic that's imagined here. The dynamic that's imagined is that there's a beautiful partnership where you're working together, you're listening to each other. Man, 90% of the time or more, the decisions that you're making, you, you both kind of agree to. There have been lots of times where I, I've thought one thing and then when Karina and I have talked, I've been like, yeah, you're right. We, we should go with your idea instead of my idea. And there's been other times that we've talked and she's ended up saying like, oh, I think you're right. We should go with your idea. And it hasn't required this sort of, I'm going to submit to you. It's just, hey, we talked it through and we ended up agreeing on it. That's the dominant dynamic within marriage. And submission has, I think, much more to do with a posture of support and encouraging positive leadership from the husband than the idea that there's going to be these constant situations where you have to do something that you don't want to do. Um, final question for this episode that I'll go through, and, and it's a big one, so I'll give several kind of points, counsel, is just the question, how do you have proper expectations for marriage? And this ties into what I talked about the, this past Sunday, um, largely because we, we have this tendency in our culture to think about marriage and to think, well, marriage is about fulfilling my deep desire for somebody that gets me and understands me and romances me or builds me up and that we're going to be so connected emotionally. Um, I'm not trying to paint the picture that none of that is in the biblical idea of marriage, but that is not at the core of the biblical idea of marriage. At the core, first of all, at the core of the biblical idea of marriage is that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. It's a picture of the gospel. We are part of a play when we're in marriage and God has cast us in this play. And the other part of this is that marriage is meant to be a lifelong commitment to each other. And within that commitment that there's refining. Um, those of us who believe uh, in, in what you would call a, a more traditional take on what Ephesians talks about and what the Bible generally talks about between husbands and wives, we call ourselves complementarians. Um, not, not with an I, but with an E, complementarians. And the idea behind that is that we say, we, God created men and women equal yet different, we complement each other. And so there's this complementary relationship within marriage where you're meant not only to sort of fill in each other's gaps and help each other, but you're meant to also refine each other. 
And so when you go into marriage, it's appropriate to say that this is not meant to be something that is the easiest life I could possibly have. This is something that will be easier in some ways and harder in other ways. And so I've got several points that I'll say on this, on expectations for marriage. And the first that I'd say is this, you don't have to get married. Um, if you're unmarried, you don't have to get married to be godly. You don't have to be married to be in God's will. You don't have to be married to have a, a meaningful life by, by which you um, serve Christ and, and do great things. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul sort of prefers the single life because he's like, I can go on missionary journeys and I'm not letting anybody down by being away. So you don't have to get married. And also, when Jesus talks about marriage and divorce in Matthew chapter 19 and gives a much more stringent idea of like, yeah, divorce is supposed to be the the wild exception, um, not, not at all the norm or the mainstream, the disciples respond by saying, this is a hard saying. Like basically it, what they end up saying is maybe if this is the case, people just shouldn't get married. And I think we all expect Jesus to respond by being like, no, 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 you don't understand. Everybody should get married. It's really great. But he doesn't. He basically says, not everybody can accept this. What Jesus is saying is, if you're not willing to accept that marriage is a lifelong commitment where you are, you are chained to each other, you are in it together, then don't do it. What I'd say is, first of all, you don't have to get married. And so if you make the choice to get married, recognize that in some ways there's going to be great things added to your life, and in other ways there's going to be harder things. Singleness is both harder and easier in different ways. Marriage is both harder and easier in different ways. So, so start and, and recognize you're making a choice to do this, and you don't have to, but you're making a choice to get married. Um, secondly, I'd say um, it's wise going into marriage to do as much as you can just to notice and be aware of the fact that men and women are different. So if you're a man and you choose to get married, it's wise for you to be in tune to say like, you're, you're marrying this specific woman, but you're marrying a woman. And there's a lot of things about women that are common to women. And so it's wise just to say like, okay, be, being married to a woman is going to involve these different things. If you're a woman, being married to a man is going to involve these sorts of things. I mean, I, th I think early in marriage, there are couples that they get frustrated with each other about things. And what you're getting frustrated with each other about are the things that every husband is frustrated with every wife about and that every wife is frustrated with every husband about. It doesn't mean you can't be annoyed. You can totally be annoyed. But you got to kind of laugh it off also and just be like, every wife is annoyed with every husband because he walks back into the bedroom, takes off his clothes and just sort of throws them on the ground and doesn't even notice that they're there. And every husband gets annoyed with every wife because she takes a lot of time to get ready and isn't quite ready. Like these are just the things sort of observe the opposite sex, observe some things and, and understand if you're a man marrying a woman, there are certain things that just go along with that. If you're a woman marrying a man, there are certain things that go along with that. And so this helps you if you're a guy and you grew up with sisters or if you're a woman and you grew up with brothers, you get a little bit of help in that. But I would just say that's something that helps with expectations is if you just have a general sense of, yeah, men and women are different. We, we annoy each other, but we also like each other. That There's that dynamic. Um, the third thing that I'd say is being a fun, kind, nice, enjoyable person does not necessarily make you a good husband or a good wife. There's certainly a level of character behind being a good husband and a good wife, but there also is a level of just skillfulness behind it. It's like you're cultivating your character and how you respond to the other person, but you're also cultivating a skill. And so, so for men, sometimes there's this sense of, all right, I'm, I'm trying to cultivate the skill of not just having good motives toward my wife, but of really listening and listening to 
the emotion behind the facts, because men and women get into conversations and husbands are like, well, well, let me, let me just correct the facts that you just said. And you want to cultivate the skill of saying, she doesn't care about the facts. She's trying to express a feeling. There's the classic about the whole idea of men trying to solve problems and, and often their wives just saying, I just want you to listen to me. So th there's a skill issue going on here. So what I say is, if you're in marriage and you're just sort of like, I have a good heart towards him or I have a good heart towards her, that should be enough. Just realize that that's not enough. There actually are skills that you build in how you interact in marriage. And sometimes that's what's going wrong. Sometimes you have the love for each other, but it's not quite getting there because you haven't yet developed the skills to be able to express it in a helpful way. That's why these tools I talked about, I think are so helpful within that. Um, another thing that I'd say about expectations within marriage is just recognize you're preparing for a life together, um, not a season of life together, not like, hey, we're going to be together for five years while we're young and healthy and really attracted to each other. Um, and not even just we're going to be together as we have young kids and raise those kids and launch them out into the world. But you're going to be together through the later stages of life. And you're going to be together through empty nest. And then you're going to be together through menopause and God willing through grandparenting. And you're going to be together through different health problems. And you're going to be together through times that, that you're going to be different people. Because especially if, if you get married young, if you get married like in your 20s and you end up being together, God gives you decades together, you're going to be very different people at different stages throughout that. So I'd say is the idea is not that sort of, all right, you get a wife for this stage or you get a husband for this stage and then you ditch them and get another husband or another wife for this stage. The, the idea is that you're gearing up for saying, we're going to have to make adjustments along the way because we're going to be different people along the way. So as you get married, envision that and be realistic um, about that. I, I, I won't say too much about this, but for a couple of years, I've been reading books about menopause to prepare myself for when my wife goes through that, because I've heard that's a really hard thing to go through. And I want to be a good husband, not just right now, but I want to be a good husband at that stage of life and at each stage of life. Um, a couple more things that I'd throw in. Um, th th this one might sound like a real downer. Prepare for the fact that within your marriage, um, you will encounter problems that feel unsolvable that feel like you just can't figure out a way through those. Um, recognize that every couple encounters those. And frequently, you got to just keep at it and you stumble across a way to figure it out. You stumble across a solution. Don't be afraid of counseling. Don't be afraid of talking to friends. Don't be afraid of resources. But don't feel like it's all over if you've encountered a problem that just you can't quite seem to solve. You're in it together. Keep praying about it. Keep leaning into it. Eventually, you usually stumble across like, oh, let's let's do this. Let's try this. Um, and, and finally, what I'd say, uh, two last things. I'll say, look for ways that your spouse will uniquely compliment you as you're going into marriage. Look for and anticipate the idea that you're saying, wow, I really, really love this about her, and this is really great about her. But to also say like, that's that that's going to be something that's going to call me to have to grow in ways that are challenging and, and the same for wives. I think there's a lot of wives that they like a husband that dotes on them, but they also like a husband that sort of stands up to them. And I think that's a good example of the idea that you're like, all right, I like this, but I'm also going to be challenged by that. Be on the lookout for that because that will be a theme in your marriage. And finally, the last thing I'll say is um, make sure that your hope is always in Christ and not your spouse. Make sure that your ultimate hope is that God is bringing good through your marriage, not simply that your spouse is going to fix you or make your life what it's meant to be. Marriage is beautiful. I am so thankful um, 
to be married. I'm so thankful to be married to Karina. God has blessed me richly with her. Within that, there's all kinds of ways that a single life would be easier for both her and for me. And at the same time, there's deep and rich refinement that God works within marriage. You don't have to get married, but if you do, go into it expecting God is not just going to make your life easier through this. God is going to enrich your life and your character through this. Well, like I said, um, in two weeks, I'm going to be back. I'm going to have a couple friends with me, and we're going to talk together practically about a lot of just sort of nuts and bolts, practical questions about marriage that I think are going to be really helpful. I hope that this episode was helpful as I went through these different things. I hope that it gives you stuff to think about as a couple, as an individual, as somebody thinking ahead to one day when you may be married. Um, God uses marriage in profound ways in our lives and in the world, and we want to be positive representations of that as believers in Jesus. So thanks for taking the time to listen um, to this. Feel free to comment or you have questions or other insights into all of this. You can find all the episodes of The Christian Contrast um, on our Life Bible Fellowship Church um, YouTube channel, um, but also just on our website, lbf.church. We have all the past episodes and invite you to listen to those and watch those and comment on those also. So thanks so much for taking the time to listen and we'll see you again in two weeks.